welcome to the Wealth Enterprise Briefing. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Enterprise Briefing. I'm Michael Zerner, one of the managing partners at We Family Offices, and I'm joined today by Matt Farrell, our head of investments. And we're going to start the year by taking a look at the private markets and in particular, taking a look at what's going on with the expectations around interest rates and expectations around what central banks, both in the United States and around the world, may or may not do with respect to interest rates and see how that's affecting uh, uh, the private markets as we head into 2024. And thank you, Matt, for joining us. Um, let's take a step back, Matt. When when we think about 2023, and we particularly look at the fourth quarter, right? Everybody's talking about how historic the capital markets performed uh, performance was in the fourth quarter of 2023, particularly the public markets. And there were really two big drivers uh, of that performance. One was hype around AI, and the other was hope uh, that the economy would uh, achieve a soft landing and that the Fed would be able to reduce interest rates uh, pretty quickly uh, as we headed into 24 uh, and the equity public equity markets took off. As we enter, we're now in the second, third week of 2024. I think there's been a resetting of expectations around what the Fed uh, may do, which is keep interest rates higher for longer. Certainly the Fed uh, has been talking for some time uh, that the public markets have gotten ahead uh, of their own expectations in terms of reducing interest rates. And uh, the expectation uh, of a cut in interest rates has been reduced quite significantly. Uh, public market bond rates have backed back up uh, a little bit uh, in the last period. And so there's been a resetting of expectations uh, that rates may stay higher for longer. We've seen the impact of that in the public markets. But let's start with, broadly speaking, what's been the impact as we exited 23 and now as we enter 24 of this resetting of expectations uh, of interest rates in the private markets? Yeah, thanks. And first of all, nice to be here. Um, maybe briefly touch on 2023. You know, the story coming into 23 was the opportunity set in private credit and also in secondaries. And not a lot of that changed throughout the year. Uh, in terms of opportunity set, you know, with with higher base rates, you know, private credit generally transacts at a spread to base rates, and with higher base rates equals higher coupons of private credit, and so we thought that was an attractive opportunity set. That doesn't really change throughout the year in 2023. Secondaries, you know, the denominator effect that we've heard about, and just general illi uh, illiquidity concerns by LPs, you know, we thought that was an opportunity set in secondaries. That didn't really change throughout the year. Um, so, so that's worked out, but you know, what we're seeing in private markets is just, it's everyone's clinging on to the hope of interest rate reduction. Um, you know, everywhere from buyout to venture to real estate, everyone, all the, a lot of strategies are, are predicated on reduction of interest rates. So buyout, for example, which, you know, part of the strategy there is obviously acquisition of a portfolio company. And then the expectation is to do further mergers and acquisitions, acquiring other portfolio companies. But in order to do that, that capital that's needed to acquire the companies is coming from debt. And with higher base rates, you know, the math is just difficult. Uh, the higher cost of financing, just the economics change. And so we saw you know, a slowdown in M&A activity last year. 
Um, but there's some optimism looking in 24 that if that's a big if rates do reduce, that could be a, a catalyst for additional M&A activity and buyout. You know, venture capital, we all know the story. There was a, a huge lack of liquidity last year, just just very few exits and distributions to LPs. And again, we just hope the capital market opens up, which generally uh, a catalyst will be a lower interest rate. And we hope deal activity will increase going forward. But again, that's a big if. And then finally, real estate, um, you know, there it's just been a huge dearth of, of transaction activity. And so we're just really in a period of price discovery. No one knows what true value is in various property types. And so it's just essentially been a frozen market. So um, a lot of these strategies are, are really just predicated on a reduction of interest rates. Okay. So, so for any of the strategies that are, that are dependent on lower rates, it's really much more of the same as we had into 24, which is not so soon, right? Which is, which is continued to hold off uh, in the face of rates being higher potentially for longer. Having said that, the strategies that benefited from higher rates uh, is, is what I heard you say, whether it was uh, secondary strategies uh, and or private credit strategies seem to continue to represent opportunities as we head into 24. Two very different categories of, of uh, private or alternative uh, strategies. So maybe maybe touch on each one and what makes them uh, so interesting right now and unique. So let's let's start in the private credit space. What dynamic do you see that's favorable as we enter 24 with these elevated rates? Sure. But first, maybe the small plug for the benefit of, of thoughtful asset allocation, right? Because, you know, as you as you mentioned, on one side, we have strategies that are benefiting from higher base rates. On the other side, we'll have strategies that will benefit from lower base rates. And so you're, if you're diversified across various strategies, you, you know, you're not overly exposed to, to one outcome versus the other. But with, within private credit, as I mentioned, there's a component of a, a base rate. And then there's a spread. So that spread is equivalent to the perceived risk or credit risk of lending to an underlying borrower. And so with base rates, let's just say 5% and spreads at 700 basis points to 900 basis points, you know, that's extending 12 to 14% coupons. Um, there are also origination fees. There's early termination fees, equity warrant potential. Um, so that would be attractive in a higher rate environment, um, in a rate re reduction. Um, you know, I don't think we're, we're anticipating rates going back to zero interest rate environment. Um, you, you know, I think we're thinking 100 to 150 basis point reduction. So it's not going to make a huge difference. And in addition, there are floors uh, built into the, the term sheets. So in other words, rates can only reduce to a certain point uh, within the contracts. So. You continue to think there's an opportunity there in private credit. Okay, good. Um, and and in the secondary space, where do you see the opportunity? Yeah, I, I still think it's you know a function of supply and demand, right? Um, and and that being liquidity. So um, if there's a demand for liquidity, especially on the institutional side, um, that produces creates an opportunity set for the buyers um, to acquire. Um, limited partnership interest in a portfolio company or, or fund of portfolio companies um, at a discount to market value. And so as 
you know, rates are still higher in theory that, and, and banks are still have uh, conservative lending standards. They've, they've pulled back on their extension of credit. That's just general lack of liquidity creates that supply demand imbalance. Hence still uh, producing an attractive opportunity set. So uh, we think within equity and credit secondaries, there's a compelling opportunity there. Okay. So we'll, we'll continue to watch those two spaces uh, as, as the market plays out. Now, one of the, uh, tenants of being a successful investor is sometimes looking at spaces that appear to be unloved uh, and seeing if they're unloved for fundamental reasons or if they're unloved for reasons that might be temporal uh, or might represent opportunity uh, to invest. And, you know, I think there's two examples right now, one of which uh, may be uh, more fundamental and one of which may actually represent an opportunity, uh, you know, uh, driven by different things, one driven by interest rates, and you mentioned it, which is real estate. Uh, and, you know, real estate may be a very difficult place to be deploying capital uh, at this point, despite falling valuations. Uh, and the other place uh, that seems to be very unloved right now, uh, not so much, uh, well, partially driven by interest rates and partially driven by sentiment is traditional energy uh, and oil and gas. Maybe maybe talk a little bit about those two spaces and, and how you see it, what, what what's driving what's going on in those two spaces. Sure. Maybe first start with real estate. And, you know, real estate is just a core position and a lot of clients' portfolio, uh, primarily on the equity side. Uh, and so it's something we watch carefully and, you know, maybe a little bit of background, we really focus on being exposed to multiple property types. So from multifamily to self-storage to industrial, because each one of those are driven by different or exposed to different macro factors. And I believe we did a, a podcast previously on that. Um, but on the equity side, it's been challenging for really a year and a half uh, ever since the interest rates started to rise. And the reason for that is real estate generally trades at a spread to U.S. Treasuries. So in other words, why would you not just invest in U.S. government treasuries uh, as opposed to take on an additional credit risk um, in real estate, right? And so that's why a spread exists. And there was a pretty sizable spread uh, kind of in the post-COVID world for 2020, 2021, and it was very attractive on the equity side. What we've seen is that spread compress. Um, with, with treasury yields increasing, now they came down and, you know, you can have a view as whether they're going to go back up or, or down, but that's regardless, the spread is narrowed. And um, that's just not a typical uh, dynamic that you see because you, you know, obviously investing in real estate, there's increased risk as opposed to the U.S. government. Um, so generally speaking, whenever there's a rise in yields, that pushes up uh, the cap rates or capitalization rates in private real estate. And think of uh, private or cap rates as you know, the operating income over the market value of the property. So your effective yield on uh, yield on cash, essentially. That's the way we think about it. And those cap rates have not expanded along with uh, US government treasuries. And so one of the reasons I think that is, is because of what we spoke about earlier, and that's just lack of transaction activity. And so when there's just a dearth of um, acquisitions in the private real estate, you don't know what that value is. And, and so just, again, I think transaction value is down 70% year over year. And so we're just still in a period of price discovery. And so I don't 
cap rates just haven't increased as much as you would expect along with the rise in interest rates. And so we're just cautious and holding out on the equity side. Now, as we discussed earlier, credit tends to benefit with higher base rates. And so something we're looking at in the medium term is real estate credit. And, you know, I, I think just with, again, higher rates and a lot of capital that went into private real estate, you know, four or five years ago, that debt needs to be refinanced into a higher interest rate environment. And again, if, if the values on that real estate have started to come down or there's you know, questions around that value, there may be some distress. And we're actually starting to see there's actually more delinquent dollar value in multifamily real estate uh, as opposed to office, which you know is a bit counter to the, the headlines that we've seen. Um, so you know, I, I think private credit could be something interesting in the future as that uh, maturity wall starts to come up for private real estate. Um, but we're, again, cautious to make sure that we know what that value is going to be whenever we underwrite a loan to value. Um, moving on to oil and gas, you know, that's really a story of supply, demand, imbalance. And that these are stories that we actually love from an investment standpoint. You know, if, if we look at, you know, the distress that started back in 15 or 16 in, in traditional oil, you really saw capital flight um, from institutional investors. But global oil and gas capex is down 60% from the peak in 2013. So just much less capex. Um, and with that distress that you saw in oil and gas companies in the mid-teens, um, they've actually been a lot more disciplined. You know, leverage is way down um, than what you saw historically. Um, and back then, it was growth at all costs. So oil companies were spending upwards of 140% capex uh 140% of their EBITDA on CapEx. Now it's down to 40%. So you have more discipline with uh, oil and gas companies. You have less capital being invested in the space for various reasons that could be you know, ESG reasons or a lot of pensions or endowments just want to focus on non-carbon energy investments. Uh, and so it's just a lack of capital in the space. And so, um, but on the demand side, we have a growing population you know, even in um, OECD countries, if we were to have a decline in oil demand, that would more than offset by non-OECD countries because they have a higher growth rate um, in terms of population. The demand side will is expected to continue to grow through 2050, you know, with oil and gas representing 30 plus percent of, of total energy demand in 2050. So we have this huge supply demand imbalance, which is creating a, a pretty compelling opportunity set. Um, so that's something we've we've dug into with with the various approaches, um, trying to identify the best risk return. But I, I think that's going to continue to be a, a compelling opportunity going forward. Okay, so so what I'm hearing, Matt, is, you know, the theme, right, has sort of reversed itself in terms of the fourth quarter's view on interest rates, uh, back to the prevailing view of most of 23, which is higher for longer. And yet, uh, while that uh, might uh, be presenting some pain in the public equity markets, uh, as with most themes, there's pain, but there's also opportunity. And uh, we are focusing on that opportunity and looking for it, particularly in the secondary space, the private credit space, and some surprising places like traditional energy and oil and gas. Thanks for joining us, Matt, and look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. Thanks.